This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Breaking news out of Vancouver tonight, where for the first time ever, the city is expropriating two notorious downtown Eastside hotels. The vote was unanimous. The troubled Balmoral and Regent belong to the Sahota family, but they've been shuttered for years over safety issues. Ted Chernecki has more on why some are opposed to the decision and what happens next. It was a long list of speakers, almost all of them speaking in favor of the city expropriating both hotels. Each told their horror story of life in the dilapidated confines of both the Balmoral and Regent Hotels. The living conditions were unbearable, impossible. You get sick just drinking the water if the water was working. One speaker, the lawyer representing the owners of both those hotels, told counsel his clients have received multiple offers to buy the two properties. $25 million in August of 18, $14.5 million in August of 18, $20 million in April of 2019. One of those who have made an offer is a numbered company whose spokesperson claims her clients offered the Sahotas $19 million for both hotels. And she warned counsel about the legal ramifications of going through with this $1 expropriation. If the city chooses to approve the expropriation, particularly with this unprecedented step of offering a $1 for the advanced value of each property, it will end up mired in litigation. These buildings will remain empty and wasting for the foreseeable future while the city expends hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal and expert fees. In the end, council voted unanimously and passed the resolution. It's the first time Vancouver's ever used the Expropriation Act for this purpose, and it says it hopes it's the last. The notion of expropriating property for this purpose has never been contemplated by the city before, so this really is a case of first instance, and hopefully it's the last time we have to contemplate something like this. The city explained that the $1 expropriation price for each hotel is based on the estimated $46 million to renovate the Balmoral and $40 million for the Regent. It also claims that even simply demolishing the two buildings would cost more than the assessed land value. Vancouver will now seek partners from the provincial and federal governments in helping rebuild housing that's affordable for society's most vulnerable. Ted Schnacki, Global News. A North Vancouver townhouse owner who's gained infamy for renting out her unit as a hostel was back in court today. Emily Yu arguing against paying a number of fines laid against her. But as John Wah reports, the judge was having none of it. Hi, Emily. Hi, how are you? Emily Yu hoped to argue for more time. Instead, she left the court $5,000 lighter. Some angry neighbor not happy about me. They together to raised the fraudulent case and defamation statement towards me. The payment of an outstanding contempt of court fine just the latest in this ongoing legal saga. You said that you're going to call cop on me every day. How come no cop coming? That all started when you turned her North Vancouver townhome into the 15-bed Oasis hostel. The strata was forced to take the case all the way up to the BC Supreme Court 
which ruled in its favor. I think that the justice was very clear with her when he said that there's nothing left to do here except to pay the money. Now, in response to Emily Yu's attempts to drudge up the old arguments of the case, Justice Davies said this isn't a free ride. You have an obligation to the court, you have an obligation to the Strata Corporation, and you're completely failing to meet these obligations. That is when you revealed that she had in her possession a certified check for $5,000 to pay the contempt fine. And that was immediately taken by the court. I feel like it was quite frustrating to, to see that in action. After all, you still owes the Strata more than $52,000 in legal costs. Will you pay the $52,000? I don't want to talk about the case now. Global TV You did want to take aim at Global News, demanding an apology for our coverage. I just want to talk about Global TV help my neighbor and help Strata Corporation. I have no confidence that Miss Yu will ever come to terms with this or acknowledge responsibility. Their only hope, you shows up with a check for 52 grand when she appears back in court next month. Or it could be another legal fight to force the sale of her home. John Hua, Global News. Well, no bus cancellations today, but if you rely on CBUS, there were seven cancellations this morning and another seven this afternoon. Grace Key is live with the latest on the impasse. And Grace, not too long ago, uniform members were at the waterfront terminal talking to passengers. Yeah, it certainly does look like uh, the union members there are really going to be hitting it hard, trying to win over the public. So they were handing out leaflets for starting out here at the waterfront. Next, they said they're going to be hitting it hard at the bus depots. And of course, they are hoping that the public will help put some pressure on the employer. We really, really appreciate yeah, you wearing this. We appreciate you guys so much. Striking transit workers took their fight to passengers, handing out leaflets and buttons at the waterfront station, hoping to win public opinion. We're also going to be giving them some information so that they can reach out to the company, reach out to Translink, and pass along the message that they've already been telling us, which is that they fully stand behind the transit workers. 100% I'm supporting the transit workers. I'd like it resolved as soon as possible. They have to do what they have to do, and it's inconvenient to us. I hope they just end it as soon as possible. On day six of the transit strike, more CBUS cancellations, 14 sailings in all, and for the first time, the morning rush hour commute was affected. So far, there's been no impact on bus service due to the overtime ban for maintenance workers. The spare buses that we have in the system um, are all accounted for. Uh, they, it does obviously decrease over time with the overtime ban. Uh, we haven't seen any significant uh, decreases at all uh, as of yet. Wages, working conditions and benefits are the main sticking points. Talks ended on Thursday and so far there's no indication of when they'll resume. We want to get back to the table. We don't want any strings attached to that. We just simply want to get back to the table. The union walked away um, last week. Yeah, they said let's talk about one item of the proposal. Well, again, because we think it's all just a game. We think the game that they're, they're calling for mediation, the game talking about one issue. We're at the stage in bargaining where everything's on the table as a package. All right, Grace, when we do start seeing the impact on buses, which region do we think will be hit first? Well, Costa Mountain says it could be Port Coquitlam. So the Poco area, their depot there is a little smaller. It's also going through a capital projects. So about three of the six maintenance bays there are going through uh, some upgrades and some construction there. So they could see things uh, hit a little harder there. You know, they say it's hard to predict because you're talking about the maintenance of buses. So that's going to be a little unpredictable. But uh, possibly by the end of the week, 
week, you could see some disruptions with the bus service. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, hopefully people have a plan B to get around. Thanks for that. Grace Key reporting in downtown Vancouver. Meantime, the latest round of negotiations between the union for Saanich school support workers and their employer broke off late last night. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria for us with more. Keith, they'd been at it for three days this mm -hmm. round. What happened? Yeah, things are getting a little ugly out there, Chris. I just got off the phone with the superintendent of the school district. He says the union walked out last night. Uh, there's a meeting tonight of, uh, and late this afternoon of uh, the union representatives' me membership to discuss what further action is going to be needed here. But also, interestingly, the district for the first time today posted on its website what's on the table here for QP educational assistance. And due to some creative uh, movement of money through the contract, they're actually now saying they're offering these people, these members, uh, Wage increases of between 7 and 12 percent instead of the 6 percent other unions are getting because it's not a net increase in cost because they're moving money from one pot to another to pay more for wages. But we caught up with uh, Dennis Coates, the uh, uh, union president, who said simply not enough money is on the table to make his members happy. The government has created this mandate that will easily allow for such a problem as, as this employer is having with recruitment and retention, yet they will not fund it. So it's, 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 it's disheartening, to say the least. All right, Keith, uh, class is canceled there, of course, because teachers are honoring mm -hmm. the picket lines. They're not crossing. And it's a reminder the BCTF and their employer remain locked in a tough contract negotiation yeah. as well. What's the latest there? Yeah, not much good to report on that front either, Chris. So the mediator in the dispute handed in his report to the two parties last Friday. Uh, the report, uh, one report says that he basically has, has concluded there is a fundamental disconnect between the two sides here that cannot allow them to actually negotiate a deal at the table. So very bleak news from the mediator. Uh, as far as I know, no talks are scheduled here, but there's also no job action plan from the teachers. I think it's a holding pattern. And I think it's going to be interesting as, as the teachers watch what happens in that transit dispute and what ends up being the wage increase there. Labor suddenly got a lot more interesting in this province the last few weeks. Has it ever. Okay, thanks, Keith. Keith Baldry in Victoria. More tonight on a redevelopment project that's going to transform the downtown core and beyond. Vancouver City Council approving the rezoning for the new site of the St. Paul's Hospital on the False Creek Flats. Nadia Stewart has more on when construction will get underway and the issues one city councillor believes should be addressed before shovels hit the ground. It is another step forward in the largest hospital redevelopment project in BC's history. I think the community is very excited about seeing the new St. Paul's. Vancouver City Council approving the rezoning application, paving the way for the project to move to the next step. It is a massive relocation, one that will significantly alter two Vancouver neighbourhoods. And Green Party Councillor Pete Fry is questioning whether St. Paul's new neighbourhood can handle the added pressure. Currently St. Paul's has a lot of hotel properties in the immediate vicinity in, at Burrard and uh, Comox, but this new location doesn't have any hotel properties. Fry supports the project, but voted against the rezoning. He says the absence of hotels convenient for patients and families is just one of the gaps in the plan, raising questions about capacity. I need a little bit more clarity before we can really be confident that the impacts of the scale of this project aren't going to negatively impact uh, the most vulnerable community in the, in the city of Vancouver. Chief Clinical Planning Officer Miriam Stewart says a hotel is included in the project, as is rental housing. 
That whole area surrounding the, Saint, the new St. Paul's Hospital is open for development, and I think once the hospital and the um, facility is up, there'll be more other development as well. But SFU City Program Director Andy Yen says Fry raises a good point about just how much it could take to make the new site work. There's an entire hospital ecosystem that's currently built around the current St. Paul's that will have to somehow be transplanted in towards the new the Falls Creek site. A lot of this is um, put forth as a challenge to the city to negotiate with Providence, ensuring that the city is made whole in terms of the overall development. Construction could begin by next fall. The project won't be completed until 2026. Nadia Stewart, Global News. RCMP are investigating a pair of suspicious deaths in the North Shushwap. Late yesterday afternoon, police were called to a home on Fraser Road in Anglemont. Inside, they found two bodies. Neighbors who live in the area say they were surprised by the police presence, but they hadn't seen the couple in a few days. Our major crimes investigators are still making efforts to positively identify each of the deceased individuals. That, of course, will be followed with a proper notification of their next of kin. Um, and, and the investigation is still in the early stages and, and is very much ongoing at this time. RCMP say early indications are that this is an isolated incident. Closing arguments began today in the attempted murder trial of Carlton Stevens. Stevens pleaded not guilty to shooting his pregnant ex-girlfriend in the stomach in East Vancouver last year. Crown was up first, and our Romina Dea has more on the final thoughts presented in court today and when the defense will have its turn. Shot in the belly. Not a coincidence, suggested Crown Counsel. Henry Reiner says the evidence proves Carlton Stevens intended to kill his ex-girlfriend and her unborn child. He had the motive, he created the opportunity, and he brought the means, said Reiner. We say there can be no doubt it was Mr. Stevens who shot JY. The victim, known as initials JY, because her identity is protected by a publication ban, was six and a half months pregnant. The bullet severed the umbilical cord. The unborn child did not survive. Crown says cell phone records will show Stevens, the presumed father of the unborn child, was consumed by jealousy and rage at what he perceived to be infidelity on JY's part. There were repeated threats to kill her and the child and Taj Lovett. Lovett was sleeping next to JY in a loft in the East Vancouver print shop where the shooting happened in May 2018. The case hinges on the identity of the person who shot JY. Two people were captured on camera at the crime scene. Defense has suggested someone else shot JY. Crown contends there is an utter lack of evidence, no motive or logic to there being another shooter. Defense is calling no evidence. The accused will not take the stand. Defense is expected to deliver closing arguments later this week. Romina Dea, Global News. Right now, though, BC Ferries is buying four more hybrid electric vessels to be built and on the water by 2022. The contract goes to the same company building the first two hybrid ships, just completing their sea trials. Aaron MacArthur has more on the new additions and how the fleet is sailing into a lower carbon future. When it was launched, it was the first of its kind, a hybrid-powered ship. The start of a new era for the former Crown Corporation, 
the island-class vessels promise to move more cars more efficiently with fewer emissions. This week, Ferry signed another deal with the Dutch shipyard Damon to build four more, worth more than $200 million. A fully electric capable. They'll be initially operating as hybrid vessels, so diesel electric, until the shore infrastructure matures to be able to uh, go fully electric. These ships, just the latest in a string of vessels built overseas. Thousands of jobs shipped offshore. Ahead of the 2010 Olympics, three C-class vessels were built in Germany worth $500 million. More ships were promised from overseas yards during the B.C. Liberal government. Then transportation critic Claire Trevena urging the Premier to build ships in B.C. We're hoping that she'll live up to that commitment and make sure that B.C. ferries are built here in B.C. to create jobs for B.C. workers and grow the B.C. economy. Under the NDP, four new ships will be built in the Netherlands. The union representing shipyard workers dismayed. Those are great, uh, good mortgage-paying, uh, family-raising jobs. 18 shipyards responded. Uh, we, we issued the proposal to Canadian yards and international yards and no Canadian yards bid. Claire Torino, the uh, transportation minister, has got a mandate to ensure that the uh, bidding process is fair for the industry, and it's clearly not happening. The Point Hope shipyard in Victoria has been contracted to do the maintenance on the six new vessels. The first new ship expected to begin its runs on the North Island in 2020. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Swoop Airlines is under fire tonight after a mother and her son with disabilities were kicked off a flight. As Global's Camille Caramali reports, despite criticism, the airline is defending its actions. A mother posting a video of her son with disabilities on Instagram. Stranded at Hamilton Airport after being kicked off a flight November 1st, shocked and in disbelief, reads the post. And I said, you're kidding. Andrea Ivaroni and her 21-year-old son Nico fly a lot, even doing this interview from Florida. But it's not easy for the family to get around. Nico is autistic and suffers from a rare chromosome disorder. He's 21. But he's, he's like mentally like a small child. But Ivoroni said airlines have always accommodated to Nico's needs. That is, until this past Friday, when the mother-son duo hopped on a Swoop Airlines flight to Fort Lauderdale. He's nonverbal, so he doesn't really have a way to voice what frustrates him. Before takeoff, he started hitting his mother and pulling her hair. She showed us an example of what she calls one of his outbursts. Nico was doing something like this on the plane when staff approached them. And said, Nico's not going to fly today. And I said, are you kidding me? And she said, well, uh, we're worried about the safety of our passengers. She tried to explain that Nico calms down once the plane takes off. I asked her if I could speak to a supervisor and she said no, it's already being decided. In a statement to Global News, Swoop said it is entrusted to ensure the safety and security of all its travelers and employees and has established policies to meet this obligation. What those policies are specifically, the airline would not say. At the at best, from the airline's perspective, this was a misunderstanding. At the worst, it was a discrimination of a person with disabilities. The family eventually made it to their sunny destination after an expensive last-minute flight with another airline. Ivoroni said Swoop refused to compensate her for the new flights, but did credit her for the two tickets that weren't used. These kids don't have a voice, so I need to speak up and make people aware that this is how they're being treated. Kamel Karamali, Global News. 
In an unremarkable building on the SFU campus sits a remarkable piece of technology most people don't even know is there. It's Canada's most powerful academic supercomputer. It stores a ton of data used by researchers from all over Canada, but all of that processing power consumes a lot of energy, a problem even the computer needed help solving. Here's Jordan Armstrong. It doesn't look like much from the outside, but inside, this building atop Burnaby Mountain has long been a computer geek's paradise. This is the brain of the power grid that supplies electricity to the entire province. For decades, it was BC Hydro's transmission control center, and when they moved out several years ago, I'll buzz us in. the next generation of supercomputers moved in. The cooling fans are so loud, we need hearing protection. In this room, two levels below ground, is computer equipment worth $30 million. This is the largest facility in the country. Essentially, it's a data storage farm for academics across Canada. This contains about a thousand times more storage than your typical desktop. Everything from high-energy physics to climate and drug research is on these very powerful computers. In the old days, data centers like these were power-hungry monsters, but this one was built with energy efficiency in mind. We basically use giant heat exchangers like you would have in your car that cools your engine. The same principle works here. You just push cold outside air through the heat exchanger to cool down the water that then is used to cool down the computers. The power saved is about 1.8 gigawatt hours per year. That's about the equivalent of 160 homes each and every single year. Power they're not burning here. Good thing because they have plans to nearly double the number of computers here in the next few months. A big investment, SFU says, is already paying off. SFU by now is one of the big centers for research computing in Canada. Jordan Armstrong, Global this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. News. Just days after the Indian capital of New Delhi made headlines for record air pollution, more shocking video that shows just how bad it is. As part of ceremonies to mark the end of a Hindu f festival, thousands of devotees wade into toxic foam polluting the Yamuna River to offer prayers. Another part of the ceremony is watching the rising sun, which was all but blocked out by some of the worst air pollution in the city's history. Federal Conservative leader Andrew Scheer dodged a political bullet today in his first caucus meeting after the election. Mr. Apple, do you have 100% support for the, leader, for the leader? Absolutely. I mean, we, we gained seats, got more votes than any other party. While most Conservative MPs publicly expressed support for Scheer going into the meeting, his performance during the election campaign was still under scrutiny. In the end, caucus members voted against giving themselves the power to force a leadership review leaving Scheer's future in the hands of the party's grassroots members, who will gather in April for their biannual convention. 
A mistake by a pilot triggered a major security alert that brought an Amsterdam airport to a standstill. All flights were delayed and heavily armed emergency services rushed to Schiphol Airport when a hijacking warning was accidentally set off by an Air Europa flight. Parts of the airport were shut down completely. Operations resumed after about an hour. Air Europa apologizing to travelers for the mistake. After a rough week for Airbnb, the organization says it's making major changes to crack down on scams and fraud. Among them, promising to verify all 7 million of its listings to make sure they're legitimate. Across the globe, 2 million people stay in Airbnb rentals every night, from New York to New Delhi, Wichita to Warsaw. But a recent Vice News investigation uncovered a pattern of alleged deception and fraud of customers booking rentals only to discover the actual property was nothing like the online photos, run down, dirty, even abandoned. Reporter Ali Conti started digging after it happened to her. There were holes punched in the wall, uh, door handles were hanging off. Uh, no kitchenware or anything like that. The owner's nowhere to be found. Today, Airbnb announced major changes, pledging to verify all 7 million properties and owners over the next year. We're going to make sure that we can stand behind every single listing, every single host, to make sure that every single listing is accurate, the information's accurate, the photos are what you say they are. And a new money-back guarantee if your rental isn't as advertised. Just last week, five people were killed at a party in an Airbnb rental in California that drew more than 100 people. The company determined to end unauthorized parties and abusive conduct. Airbnb says it's adding a 24-hour neighbor hotline for emergencies and promising to review any guest reservation that looks high risk. A police escort is often reserved for world leaders or sometimes expectant parents rushing to the hospital. But in Goshen, Indiana, a runaway horse got one too. The horse escaped its enclosure and ended up running down the highway. Because it was dark and the animal was nearly impossible to see, officers lit up their cars and drove with it to make sure it was never hit. After about a half hour, one officer carefully pulled up beside the horse reached out of his car and slowed the frightened animal to a stop. Officers kept it calm until transportation could be arranged. In health news tonight, a warning for parents of teenagers. New research says not all teens suffering from anorexia are painfully thin. Scientists say teens and young adults can meet all of the criteria for the eating disorder, but still have a normal body weight. It's called atypical anorexia, and it can still be very dangerous. They say one of the best predictions of potential problems is a teen who loses a lot of weight quickly. Experts say with the increasing concerns about adolescent obesity, many teens are being told to lose weight without being given the tools to do it in a healthy way. The Burnaby Wildlife Rescue Center is working around the clock to nurse back to health a rare animal that you might not have known makes BC home for at least part of the year. The endangered American white pelican was part of a migrating colony and, as Linda Aylesworth reports, fell victim to an all-too-familiar hazard. You'd be snappy, too, if you'd endured what this American white pelican has. He's still pretty feisty, um, but that's a really good thing. That's what we want to see in our patients here. Here is the Wildlife Rescue Association in Burnaby. We want to see feistiness because that means they're getting better. 
It's been nearly two weeks since he, or perhaps she, was spotted near Tucklenewit Lake in Oliver, a lone pelican abandoned by its flock which had flown south for the winter. We knew we definitely had to go out and, and rescue this bird. Not just because they're compassionate, but because American white pelicans are endangered in B.C. Once at the rescue centre, they determined it was 70% underweight, dehydrated, and had an ugly wound on its wing, likely caused by an abandoned fish hook. Because it was still attached to fishing line, probably got snagged on something and then got pulled. Um, so that's why the skin tore down like that. Treatments include physio. Every day it's encouraged to swim to take the weight off its feet. It doesn't quite want to get in the pool. There you go. Excellent. And because surgery was required... We're changing bandages on the wings um, using Manuka honey, um, which is a really good healing agent for wounds. The healing process will take months, time spent without his feathered friends. So to stave off loneliness... The mirrors are there for him to see another pelican and to feel more comfortable. And to help his rescuers with the ever-rising cost of his care, a fundraiser. If you'd like to help, go to wildliferescue.ca. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Unusual video. What's falling from the trees into a Florida river? The daredevils revealed right after the forecast. All right, meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us with a look at that forecast. That looks mm. ominous, Christy. Yeah, so freezing rain warning just issued this afternoon. We did anticipate this as a system is moving in. Here's a look at the areas that are going to be affected. Prince George, Stuart Nachaco, Bulkley Valley, as well as the Lakes District. So freezing rain expected overnight tonight through the morning hours tomorrow. It's not going to warm up until a little bit later in the day and change over to rain at that point. Here's a look at what's going on. What we've got is cold Arctic air in place across the interior regions and a system moving in from the west, bringing in milder air as long, along with rain. And when we get that type of scenario, that milder air actually rides up and over the colder, dense air. So let me look at, show you what it looks like from the side. So there's a warm air riding up and over that cold, dense air. And what happens is the rain falls as rain, as liquid, but then falls through a very small layer of cold air and it freezes on impact. So you get black ice, you get... Um, you know, cover your car covered in ice as well as you can get a lot of power outages because of that. So black ice driving tips, by the way, uh, keep steering wheel straight. Do not brake. Actually take your foot off the accelerator in order to slow down and that will help your scenario. So again, that's overnight tonight through the morning hours uh, tomorrow. Meanwhile, Vancouver was beautiful today. We did see some fog this morning, but otherwise blue sky. Tomorrow that won't be the case. We are going to see some cloud cover. That's because of the system that's to the north of us bringing that risk of freezing rain. That's going to spread a bit of cloud across our area tomorrow, but not bad conditions. We'll see some breaks of blue sky. There's a rainfall for coastal regions, inland regions, risk of freezing rain overnight through the morning hours, changing over to rain as it's finally able to scour out that cold air and warm things up. Down through the south, mainly dry, but also a fair amount of cloud, and we'll see that here across the south coast also. Friday looks dry. The still iffy one is the weekend. We're putting in a chance of rain at this point, just so you're aware, but hopefully we'll be able to take that out. There's still some uncertainty, but so far it looks like Remembrance Day Monday is looking dry. And I'll leave you with not that where is it there it is <laughs> from princeton edna and ken sent us the sunset from last night great wow. colors thanks christy amazing
Well, who wouldn't want to take a refreshing dip when the weather warms up? Turns out even monkeys think it's a good idea, and their dive into a Florida river was caught on camera. Rhesus macaques jump from high up in the trees, splashing down noisily into a river in Silver Spring. Once they make their daredevil plunge, the monkeys swim to the other side of the river. Macaques are not native to Florida. This population descended from theme park escapees. Really? Mm -hmm. Now numbering over 300, Florida is wrestling with how to control their rapid population growth. That's so neat. A bad idea back in 1938 is a really bad idea in 2019. Theme yeah. park escapees. Is there yeah. also like... They ran away from the circus. You know, people dressed as Goofy and Pluto running through the Everglades <laughs> oh. to escape from Disney <laughs> yeah. World. And then multiplying. And just multiply, yeah. They have right. all these mascots running around. <laughs> what are you going to do with them? That half-court, nothing-but-net shot earned a University of Oklahoma student free tuition for a year. The shot was only part of it. He had to make a layup, a free throw, and a three-pointer in 30 seconds just to earn the chance to drain that half-court shot. Money. It was well, more money. ways than one. Money. <laughs> All, right. All right, Squire. Okay, here we go. Uh, you never like to see this happen. And Devon Claybrooks was a good guy. Fun guy. Did that thing. Yeah. One chip the challenge chips. with us last week. Uh, after just one season, Devon Claybrooks was fired by the BC Lions. You put up a 5-13 and 13 season, never beat a Western opponent. That can happen. He had a rather loose style at being the boss. Coupled that with a lot of inexperienced assistant coaches. And that led to the team not looking like they were always prepared for games. The structure that football teams need to all be on the same page, appeared to be lacking. And Lions' ownership and management was not willing to see if things would change under Claybrook's next year. <laughs> you could see Devon Claybrook's style was different right from the start. The shorts, the sideways hat, his ease in dealing with his players. But was he not enough of a boss for those players? There are players that you, I can see that would take advantage of that kind of personality. And because of that, you don't get the maximum effort from those players. And before you know it, it kind of creates a culture where guys are kind of relaxed because, you know, they feel that it's, you know, things are okay. And, and in fact, they're not. Of course, they certainly weren't okay, especially at the start of the year. BC began 1-10, and 10, and perhaps it didn't help Claybrooks that he surrounded himself with so many young assistant coaches who were not that experienced. I'm sure that some of the coaches will tell you, that some of the younger coaches will tell you that there were some early struggles there. Uh, players pick up on that uh, relatively quickly. I know as a former player, you know, we, we smelled blood in the water if we saw inexperience and we, we would take advantage of it. So I don't think times have changed much in that aspect. Claybrook's firing means Ed Hervey is on his second coaching search in a year, and he maintains a replacement must be a guy who knows the Canadian game. It's going to be someone who fully understands the CFL game and surrounds himself, himself with people who know the game in and out, and that can help us achieve what uh, we set out to do. So it's a safe bet Hervey's new coach will be someone currently working in the league or recently coaching in the CFL. 
and a decision won't be made until after the Grey Cup. Um, we're going to take as long as it takes to ensure that we interview every candidate that we believe can help us uh, achieve what we need. The Lions believe they have players who can win, so with that in mind, the removal of Claybrooks wasn't that shocking. But what have the supporters of the Lions been telling the club about what happened? Some fans were uh, believed that, you know, a, a head coach should get more than one year, uh, and others felt that it was the right move and should have been made part through through the season. So um, there's no right answer or wrong answer from a fan's perspective. Uh, we just want to make sure that they're fans and, and come back. There is a very good reason that teams are very careful with shot selection in three-on-three -three overtime because if you miss the net, especially if you shoot the puck hard, it could bounce to the other team and they could have a breakaway. Sometimes a one-man breakaway. Sometimes a two-man breakaway. But the Canucks last night against St. Louis gave up a three-man breakaway. And you can bet when those three blues were closing in on Jacob Markstrom, he suddenly thought, wait a minute, this is a nightmare I've always had since the very beginning when I wanted to be a goalie. Here it is, Tyler Myers takes a shot and misses, but what is more devastating is Myers wipes out JT Miller right there. So now Bo Horvat, Miller and Myers are gone and it's three on one. And Jaden Schwartz scores. And a stick oh, is broken. One more look. Again, watch the collision right here. Myers and Miller. And then, of course, Bo Horvat tries to get back. But there's just no way. And it's, here, you take it. No, you take it. No, there we go. And then a stick is sacrificed. Against the post. Well, they still got a point. A friendly fire incident landed Winnipeg Jets forward Brian Little in a hospital last night. It happened during a game with the Devils. He took a puck to the side of the head off a slap shot from teammate Nikolai Ehlers. Be forewarned, there's a bit of blood in this video as we show you what happened. Just one of those things. Ehlers' shot hits a Devil's stick and right in the ear. And the worst thing for Little, who had 25 to 30 stitches and had to spend the night in hospital and may still be in hospital, the Jets haven't updated us yet, he actually had a concussion last month. So that's the last thing you need if you've already had a concussion less than a month ago. And there you can see they had to take him off the ice to the hospital. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin has been selected to be part of the international team in the upcoming President's Cup, which is the world outside of Europe against the Americans. Think of it as the Ryder Cup for those who aren't Euros. He was selected to play by international captain Ernie Els. It's the second time he'll be in the President's Cup. He was also in in 2017. Had five top ten finishes last season. This year's President's Cup is December 9th to the 15th in Melbourne, Australia, and the American team will be captained by Tiger Woods. There you go. All right. Good for him. Good, good tournament. Mm -hmm. Coming up on ET Canada, sorry, Internet, but Keanu Reeves is in love with somebody else. Plus, Matt Damon, Christian Bale, and their epic fist fight. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. Thank you, Carlo. Looking sharp in the turtleneck. Just can't. Not everybody can pull that off. All right, uh, speaking of wardrobe, another sign tonight that Queen Elizabeth is paying more attention to shifting social standards. A new book says the Queen is abandoning, for the most part, a part of her wardrobe that's been a fixture for decades. Queen Elizabeth is known for her stylish fashion choices, but she's decided to ditch fur from her wardrobe. It's the right thing to do. She should have done it earlier, and it's a good thing. I hope more people get inspired by it. 
I feel like they've always been fairly progressive, so making that decision is a fairly progressive stance. Angela Kelly, the senior dresser to the Queen, revealed the clothing change in her new book. She says any new outfits made for Her Majesty will not contain real fur. Fur has been part of the Queen's wardrobe for decades, and animal rights groups have criticized royals for wearing it. The Queen has made the decision because she feels, I think, um, it's in tune with public mood, but more importantly, it's in tune with what she feels comfortable doing now. Palace aides say the Queen won't get rid of her existing outfits, so she'll still wear fur from time to time. Like during the state opening of Parliament, when Her Majesty dons a ceremonial robe which is made with fur. Animal rights groups are applauding the faux fur decision, with PETA posting on Twitter they're raising a glass of gin and Dubonnet, reportedly the Queen's favorite drink. Do you think in any way she felt pressure from animal rights groups to stop wearing fur? No, because I think if the Queen felt any pressure from any animal rights groups, she would have made the decision a lot longer ago. When the weather gets too chilly, the Queen's dresser says the 93-year-old monarch will still wear fake fur to stay warm. Cindy Palm, CBS News, London. Fake fur is warm, too. Yeah. Right? That's you go to a big park. I've seen you in a big park, too. Always fake. Always, always fake, of course. Always, always been. But warm. I'm a little surprised she's... It's 2019 and she hasn't... I, that's it. what oh, I was no. thinking, too. It's, a, it's but, been a while. You know, at least she's doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Things move slowly <laughs> in Buckingham Palace. You could use, like. we, we could use a little faux fur mm-hmm. right now. We could. I mean, it's not as cold as what we have had. But, yeah, two degrees overnight tonight. Uh, generally speaking, dry for the next couple of days. Today was day 11, by the way, of no rain. So we've got... 13 expected with the possibility of rain over the weekend. But there's so much uncertainty with this weekend. The Mm -hmm. models literally are saying, one saying rain, others saying no rain at all. Not even in the middle. Wow. Is there a third model that can break the tie? (laughs) (laughs) We're working on that. Towards rain. Uh, And dry for Monday, Remembrance Day is what it looks like, hopefully. All right, thanks for watching. Good night, all.